business aviation flight departments continue to adapt to the COVID-19 environment, what are the safety and security implications from reduced staffing, particularly on the maintenance side? From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. Our industry has experienced many changes due to the novel coronavirus pandemic, and that includes reduced staffing levels across many business aviation flight operations. These reductions often extend to the maintenance side, with fewer employees on a given shift, especially overnight, to reduce the risk of spreading the virus and to minimize the number of people affected should a coworker test positive for COVID-19. But what can flight departments do to maintain safety and security with fewer employees on the job? To answer that question, I'm joined today by Greg Hamelink, Senior Manager of Flight Operations and Maintenance at Stryker Corporation and Chair of the NBAA Maintenance Committee, and Don Chupp, President and CEO of aviation consulting firm and emergency response provider Fireside Partners. Greg, how has COVID-19 affected maintenance staffing at your company? Rob, it's definitely affected uh, our operations. Our typical Monday through Friday, eight to five scenario, if you could call it that in aviation, that we that we maybe saw in the past, where I'd have uh, myself and and uh, my other four technicians here at the hangar to to work on flights coming in or out, uh, scheduled maintenance, unscheduled maintenance. That's changed um, where we've tried to reduce staffing maybe physically on site for that social distancing uh, interaction where maybe it's down to maybe one gentleman a day or or one or two at the most uh, in some cases. So it's definitely changed that. It's kind of turned our world upside down from a schedule perspective and to make us think a little bit outside the box to say how are we, we going to accomplish uh, what we need to do still with the aircraft from a maintenance perspective Obviously, our flight schedule was affected or impacted negatively. Uh, you know, the flights virtually went away, but we still had scheduled maintenance to accomplish. So uh, how we do that, we just had to be a little bit more uh, creative in, in putting that together to follow CDC guidelines, state executive orders that we had here in Michigan, and then as well as, you know, guidelines that our, that our company put in place uh, just from an employee perspective. So there was a number of different angles we had to look at uh, in doing that. Don, have you seen similar changes at maintenance facilities over the past few months? Yeah, Rob, I have. I think COVID-19 continues to affect maintenance staffing across the entire ecosystem of aircraft maintenance. You know, speaking in general terms, I would say that the same numbers of maintenance personnel are still required to perform tasks safely and completely. I mean, that hasn't really changed, but But what has changed in a lot of places is the sequencing of certain services and tasks. So when you you think about ground handling, catering, aircraft servicing, regular and unscheduled maintenance, uh, and other ground-based activities, the sequencing of ensuring the physical distancing uh, requirements are kept. So that's been the real change. And so you still need the same number of people to do things safely. The manner in which they surround the aircraft and they perform their duties. Uh, that, that has certainly changed. Uh, another thing that I think is, has changed that's important uh, as related to COVID-19 is, you know, this mantra of social distancing is really kind of a bad one because what we really need is physical distancing, yet we need to maintain social closeness. And what I'm getting at is, especially if you're in the maintenance field, using these uh, technology 
equipment that we have, you know, that old guys like me bemoan all the time, but, but they're really valuable to maintain social closeness and ensure that you stay in touch with your other team members, that you do coordinate that sequencing well, uh, but yet maintain the physical distancing. So I would, I would support that we change the vernacular from social distancing to physical distancing for our maintenance press. Greg, Don raised a couple good points there, including that the number of people required to perform a given maintenance task and sign off on the job hasn't really changed. It's more to do with how those employees are distributed, and that may not be different either for flight operations that already performed overnight maintenance. So what's different about the COVID-19 environment? Yeah, so maybe a couple things there, Rob. You know, for us, it didn't affect us. We didn't do a lot of overnight stuff on aircraft. However, we talked about overnights as being another option, just again, to to change that social distancing or, as Don mentions, that physical distancing. Okay, maybe somebody needs to move to a different shift in order to accomplish the work just so you don't have, you know, a group of people here together. That's one thing we talked about if, if uh, okay, we, we follow protocols to say, hey, somebody's healthy enough uh, to come to work, how many people do we have together working on an aircraft, or do we do those maybe more off shifts? We split uh, what is, for us, a small maintenance department, four guys, five, including myself, to say, hey, if we've got everybody here, somebody gets sick, we get everybody sick, we've now wiped out you know, our maintenance department. So how do we do that constructively where maybe we separate folks to do that? That's one angle. We're a tenant of, of an FBO or a large M- MRO, uh, Duncan Aviation. And talking to them, they actually, you know, forced uh, a few more people to go to their third shift just so they didn't have so many people in their day shift, second shift scenario. So kind of spreading that out a little bit, I think, helps as well. Again, with that physical distancing, you don't have as many um, people there together at once. Again, trying to protect your business or your department is kind of the other side of it. From an operational perspective, if you don't have the people, to Don's point, you still need that same number of people to accomplish what you were doing before COVID-19. But if all of a sudden those people are sick or have to self-quarantine for 14 days, that can definitely affect you negatively. So protecting yourself and, and doing that has been kind of one of those, those key challenges to look at and to think about in the back of your mind as you look at personnel and scheduling folks. Greg, what measures do you have in place to ensure the safety of employees working in fewer numbers on a shift, to ensure adequate oversight and a fast response in the event that something happens to compromise their safety? So that was something that we dealt with before with our department, you know, where we had guys maybe on an off shift and maybe just one guy at night receiving an aircraft uh, from a late arrival. The one advantage we had as a corporate operator We aren't in our own facility, but we're in an FBO environment. And so that facility is staffed 24-7. So it was a requirement before where our guys, if they came in off hours, weekend, whatever it was, they would, you know, notify somebody here at the FBO to say, hey, I'm here at the hangar. I'm going to be here for a couple hours. And that kind of forced whoever was on duty to at least pass through the hangar to check on somebody. So again, it was that communication and that knowledge base that, hey, I've at least communicated with somebody that I'm here to let them know something's going on so that they at least check on me. Outside of that, the one challenge we had was was because of the reduced flying with COVID, the FBO actually reduced their their hours from a 24-7 scenario to, to no longer 24 hours a day. So that kind of, for us, eliminated that overnight or middle of the night scenario. We would have had to approach that differently if we had to actually do that. 
fortunately, we didn't have to get into that realm. But that was, again, that piece that we had to do was think about how we were going to communicate if we had to do that. Fortunately, we didn't have to. Don, what are your thoughts on ensuring the safety of employees under reduced staffing? And does OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, offer any specific guidance on this matter to maintenance and repair operations? You know, I I really resonate with a lot of what Greg talked about in the frontline aspect of this. And when you're talking about OSHA in particular, OSHA has a very fundamental and basic tenant. And it's found within the Safety and Health Act of 1970. And it simply says that any employer has the responsibility to protect employees from known hazards. Well, COVID-19 is about the best known hazard that we've had in our lifetime. And so where we're trying to balance our responsibilities to protect our employees and our flight crews and our passengers and our line service folks, et cetera. But, but there's another counterweight that's making this, this hard to balance. And I think Greg called this out really well. And, and that is that there's a, also a basic tenant in aviation maintenance safety that says one set of eyes is never the right way to go at it. That you always want someone who's doing the work to be supervised and signed off by someone else, right? So that we have this sort of cohort safety effect that none of us are out there on our own performing safety sensitive tasks completely separate from having someone else, you know, kind of look over our shoulder. So how do you balance that? You know, when you're trying to maintain distancing, when you're trying to effectively stagger your groups, and then you have an overnight limited staff upon you as well. And one of the ways in which I think we can mitigate that is what I've seen other operators start to do, and it's certainly happening across the fence line in the military spaces, is these mutual aid sort of agreements between organizations. Uh, Rob, I believe, as as I think Greg does and everybody does, that safety is a non-competitive space. And so even if you're at a small airport, you're, you're involved with a small operation, get to know the people around you that can help check on you, like Greg talked about, that can kind of help you with a second set of eyes. And yet we can still maintain the distancing and the prudent anti-COVID safety precautions that we got to take. So that's my perspective on how to balance OSHA with uh, their requirements and then the, the practical nature of what we're trying to contend with, with limited shift personnel. Anything to add to that, Greg? I think we approach it as well from that KISS methodology, the, the keep it simple, stupid, you know, scenario. And, and so uh, Don hit the nail right on the head is that, hey, use those, those resources around you. Keep it simple. Communication's key. You know, I, for us, it's not like a, a, it has to be a mystery that we're here at the hangar for some reason. Let somebody know you're here. You know, that's, that's the first basis of really kind of that safety and security side of it. Somebody sees the lights on, they're going to wonder what's going on, you know. So even prior to that, it never hurts to reach out to somebody. Some of that communication can be verbal or nonverbal too. We've got a lot of resources now with technology. Everybody's got an iPhone or Android device on their hip. I've asked my guys sometimes to say, hey, just drop me a text. Let me know when you're at the hangar. Let me know when you leave the hangar. Just so I have that insight. I could probably watch them on video as well, but I'm not going to take up my whole time to do that or in the middle of the night to do that either to, to, to keep tabs on them. So use those resources you have and use some really simple type resources to accomplish what you need to, to keep that safety and security side of it intact. 
You raise the subject of security. Does reduced staffing, or perhaps having just a single employee on duty, elevate the risk for potential safety concerns? Security is always an issue. So we're in an airport environment, right? And so that's uh, usually considered a security, especially if you've got some form of airline service, you know. So we have a badge in, badge out process that our employees need to go through from an airport badge perspective. So there's there's that layer of it. Um, so there's visibility to, to airport folks here, uh, you know, at our home base. So quite honestly, if I really wanted to look at it from a security perspective, I go back to our our local sheriff's department who, who oversees that to say, hey, can you give me a running list of, of who is in and who is out? Obviously, our aircraft, we're, we're maybe not looking at them as often. We've had it here over the last couple of months where, hey, we tried to come in maybe, you know, somebody here on a daily basis, but we may have gone three or four days without somebody here. So there's other that other type of security side of it, the physical asset security, you know, in the hangar. Granted, we're in an FBO, but it is still kind of public space for those that can get access to the facility. So um, security is a concern. You know, we do have some cameras here in the hangar. We can go back and and look at maybe what took place, but it's always a discussion to say, hey, um, even though an airplane is sitting still, nothing going on, we still need to monitor and and take care of that asset. So that's kind of the security side that we've looked at, as well as obviously the, you know, the individual employee security side of it, uh, just because there's not somebody here potentially with them So again, using those resources around us, FBO personnel, to help or assist with that. So in this very dynamic and unfamiliar environment, Greg, do you have any additional tips that you'd like to share with flight operations that may be struggling with the safety and security risks from reduced staffing? How can they handle it? So again, Don mentioned this earlier, is is really probably sitting down from a department perspective, and that's kind of what we did is we tried to take it all in from the flight operations side, the maintenance side, our scheduling department to say, okay, how do we make this all work? How do we co-locate yet without maybe co-locating and still provide that level of service since we are a service industry in corporate aviation, still at a very high level when we're called upon to do that. So I, I think it's it's sitting down with all necessary parties to have that very frank and open discussion. Maybe everybody agrees, maybe everybody doesn't agree, but you've got to find that that common ground to, to put things in place. And it's going to require a little bit more effort by everybody. Once things go into place, a policy goes into place, that then you enact that policy and follow up with it with your pertinent employees. If they don't do that, then you're kind of outside the box. Again, we're definitely not in a situation normal. We are in an abnormal scenario. And even three months into it, I still feel like we're in an abnormal scenario, even though it's the new norm. But that's kind of the mindset I think you have to take. And then it changes. So we're now looking at potentially going back into a flying scenario as we start to see some trips come along. So how do we handle that? Not only from a maintenance perspective, but even from a flight operations perspective, uh, that interaction with our passengers. Our passengers can't go through the FBO. They could right now, but the FBO is not allowing that, like you say, without some additional screening, et cetera. They're protecting their asset in that regard. So we've had to look at alternatives to get folks to our aircraft to depart and then upon arrival, get back to their vehicle street side. So there's a number of things, facets, maybe not just maintenance related, but but as a whole that you've got to look at. A lot of companies run a, you know, a single man maintenance shift. So that's not new to them. It was new for us in some degree. So we, we definitely had to take a closer look at it. Don? 
Yeah, I, I think uh, Greg's talking about that concept of, of an ecosystem, you know, that bringing everyone together, again, socially close in terms of our interactions and communication, share ideas, information, best practices. There's such a degree of variability out there right now. And that's been tough for all of us because it, it seems like by the day, best practice changes. And, and we're all trying to bend and adapt and flex some of this seems to be feel-good stuff, purely there for visual effect. Some of it does seem to have a, a real prudent safety payoff, but it's it's kind of hard to know the difference. And then you have an operation that's got a one-person shift. Hey, look, as a practical matter, I'm not a fan of it. Never have been. It, it, it sort of is against the, the two sets of eyes safety net. But I, but I get the luxury of saying that because I don't have an economic chip in the game, right? But I would say this to finalize my comments is that I think there's an opportunity here for aircraft owners uh, and we need their help. And we need their help in the space of, you know, when times are quiet and good, an aircraft owner isn't keen about the concept of hiring another maintenance technician. You know, why, why does this job need to be done by more than one person? It only is when something goes wrong that the ownership group often comes back and says, well, wait a second, with a system this complex, how come we only have one person doing this job? And so I think what we could do, and I think the tip here for any uh, aircraft owner is, is I would say this, I would say, you know, if you're not a fan of instituting a one person shift, ask any surgeon how they feel about operating without surgical technicians and nurses. Uh, then ask the patient right before they go under. That, that's really kind of the, the point about single person shifts. It just, it has so many potential vulnerabilities that are hard to defend when things go wrong. I think as Greg suggests, pulling the ecosystem together, generating new ideas and new concepts, that's the way to go. So we can still operate with a comprehensive safety program, but also do the right thing in response uh, to this pandemic. For the latest information about this and other matters affecting the safety and security of business aviation flight operations, especially during this highly unusual time, visit nbaa.org forward slash aircraft dash operations. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking Alexa or another connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock, and thanks for listening to Flight Plan. Flight Plan.